Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, there are many impressive engineering feats in the world. Think, some, uh, think of some of the world's tallest buildings, or uh, perhaps some of the big dams that have been created across rivers. But one that I find particularly impressive are some of the, the long-spanning bridges uh, in the world. Take, for example, uh, one from Canada, the Confederation Bridge in Atlantic Canada. This bridge, at nearly 13 kilometers long, connects PEI to New Brunswick. Most of it stands 40 meters above the Northumberland Strait, which is part of the Atlantic Ocean. So 13 kilometers over a part of the ocean. Uh, it's amazing. Think of the time, the money, the engineering, and all the effort to construct uh, such a bridge. And other examples of long-spanning bridges include the Seven Mile Bridge in Florida, connecting a couple of the Florida Keys. There's also the Mackinac Bridge connecting Upper and Lower uh, Michigan. I'm sure we could cite many more examples. Now, those bridges might be incredible engineering feats, but no matter how impressive they might be, there are some gaps that humans cannot build a bridge across. And this afternoon, I'm not speaking about a physical gap at all, such as between two islands or two mountains. I'm talking about the gap between sinful humans and Almighty God. That gap simply cannot be crossed, cannot be crossed over by human strength. It's impossible for us to, to bridge the gap between us and God on our own. Instead, we need someone else to do it for us. And the only person who can bridge the gap between sinful humans and God is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can bring us from our side to God's. Of course, He doesn't do that with any feat of engineering, but He does it through His saving work on our behalf. So that brings us to the sermon theme of this afternoon. By Christ's saving work alone, we have crossed over or passed from death to life. We'll look at three things specifically. First of all, why we rely on Christ's work alone. Second, why this work of Christ changes us. And third, why rewards are not earned or merited. So first of all, why we rely on Christ's work alone. Now again, as I said before reading Lord's Day 24, uh, last week we looked at we looked at Lord's Day 23 and focused on the glorious truth of our justification before God. And justification is all about how sinners are declared righteous before a holy God. And question answer 60 describes it like this. How are you righteous before God? The answer is only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though I have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments, our God, out of sheer grace, He counts the perfect righteousness of Christ as my own, as your own. 
And that teaching is so wonderful. And it's at the heart of our salvation. Justification is at the heart of our salvation. Our very uh, salvation rests on our justification before God. Because it's so wonderful what we learn in Lord's Day 23, perhaps there's part of us that thinks, well, maybe it's too wonderful. Uh, can it be that simple? Is it only by believing in Jesus Christ that we can be counted righteous before God? What about the righteous things that we do? Is that not important? Or does that not count? Well, beloved, we need to have this firmly in our minds, a correct understanding of justification. Again, our very salvation rests upon our justification before God. Without a right understanding of this teaching, our salvation would always be in doubt. So that being the case, we need to deal with questions that arise after understanding this, this teaching, this doctrine. We need to answer objections that might arise in our minds or our hearts. And that's what Lord's Day 24 is all about. It's about answering those questions that arise about justification, and it begins with question and answer 62. There we read, Why can't our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it, even some small part? Well, the reason is because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment, must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. To show this is true, I would like to point to something that, that I refer to as the grave test. That might sound a little bit odd. Let me explain. You see, the grave will show if someone is perfectly righteous in themselves or not. Why is this the case? It's because God's judgment on sinners is death. Think of Genesis 2. When you eat from that one tree, Adam, you shall surely die. Or... Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. So that's a standard. If you sin, you die. And if you die as a sinner, the grave will never let you go. Now, if our good works were part of our righteousness before God, then they need to survive that grave test. So that's the question. Can our good works, can our righteousness overcome death? Can it overcome the grave? And if it can, then yes, our good works can be our righteousness before God. However, if there is any hint of evil, even one violation of God's law, the slightest defilement of sin, then we would fail the grave test. We would not be able to escape the grave 
because we are sinners. So let's think about that now. Imagine you were to die, possibly today. Are you confident that your good works, that your righteousness would be enough to pull you through? Do you think your good works are going to enable you to escape the grave all on your own? Well, I hope you all know the answer. The answer is no. Our righteousness is not good enough. If I enter the grave relying on myself, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to rise on my own. And that's why humans have a natural fear of death. We know in our hearts that death has to do with a punishment upon sin. And we know we all have sinned, and so of ourselves, we can't escape it. Now, there is only one person who has ever passed the grave test. And that, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what we read in Acts 2. Peter is proclaiming to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. He's talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and how they crucified him. He said, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but... But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Not possible for Jesus Christ to be held by death, for the grave to hold him down. And that's because Christ is the righteous one. He entered the grave not because of his own sin. He had none. Instead, he entered the grave because of our sins, paying our penalty. And because he did that, righteous in himself, he did not stay dead but was raised to life again. Jesus passed the grave test. His resurrection proves that he is perfectly righteous in every way. So the question for us now is, on what are you going to set your hope? What's going to give you confidence you'll pass God's judgment? Is it your own good works? Is it your own righteousness, your own obedience? Well, many in history have made that choice, but it will not go well. Think only of what the Lord Jesus told the Jews in John 5. He said to many of them, Do not suppose that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. Many of them have placed their hopes in Moses. What does that mean? Well, it could mean perhaps because Moses gave the law, and they thought they could keep the law well enough, good enough. So they had hope based on that. Or perhaps because they believed Moses would still intercede for them, as he did for Israel so long ago, and they didn't need another mediator to cover their sins. But either way, 
they missed the point. Their hope should have been in Jesus Christ alone. And why is that? Well, it's because the saving work of Jesus Christ alone is what allows us to pass the grave test, and that alone. Listen to verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. Do you hear that? In Jesus Christ, believing in him, trusting his saving work, we have passed from death to life already now. We have crossed over from the side of judgment to the side of salvation in Christ. We have moved from the side of sin and death and hell to the side of righteousness and eternal life in Him. And it's all in Him. Our sins being paid for through His death, His righteousness pulling us through the grave, and in Christ Jesus, we are raised up to new life, even now, by sharing in His resurrection. And notice, it's, it's based completely on the work and merits of Christ. Nothing we have done, whoever hears my word, believes Him who sent me, has eternal life. Right? Faith alone. In Jesus Christ, we have the righteousness we need to stand for the judgment of God. This is what the Lord Jesus and exhorted the Jews in, in uh, John chapter 5. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They were right about that. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See what our Lord Jesus is saying. Come to him. Come to Christ. Put your faith in Him that you may have life. In Him and through His work alone, we have passed from death to life. That brings us to our second point. So, in the second point, so that, in the first point, that's the first question answered. Why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Well, it's because our good works aren't good enough to get us through the grave test of, of God's judgment. Even our best works are defiled with sin, so they're unable to give us life. But Christ's work is perfect, and by that work we have life. That brings us to the next logical question, and actually I'm going to be dealing with the, uh, the last question and answer from Lord's Day 24 next. But does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? And you know, it's one of the most common objections brought against uh, Scripture's teaching on justification. If we are declared righteous before God by faith alone, through the work of Christ alone, why would we bother do good works? And if because of Christ's work, we do not come into judgment 
pass from death to life, as John 5 says, why not embrace sin? You know what? Some people might reason like that, and that's certainly a terrible error, but this is faulty reasoning. Answer 64 puts it like this. This teaching of justification does not make people careless and wicked, and that's because it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Now, answer 64 uses the image of being grafted into Christ. Think about what Jesus says in John 15. He's the vine, we are the branches, we are grafted into him, united to him. And being united to him, we will bear much fruit. But let's consider this also from another angle. Think again of the Lord Jesus' words from John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, what do those words mean? Well, they mean, as we saw already in point one, we have passed the grave test in Jesus Christ alone, passed through the judgment of God in Christ, and that gives us a new status before God, a righteous status. That's what our justification is all about. But we must not stop there. It means more. We have passed from death to life. And so not only have we been justified before God, but we also have new spiritual life so that we might serve God. You see, you don't get one without the other. When a person is justified by faith in Christ, they no longer are under the judgment of God. That's what we have in Christ. But when a person is justified, they inevitably, simultaneously have new spiritual life. You don't get one without the other, you get them both justification, and new life. And so those who are justified have new life, and so they live according to that new life. And that's why it's impossible that the true teaching on justification makes someone careless or wicked. In fact, it's actually the opposite. Passing from death to life in Christ means that we live a new life now. By that life, we will bring forth fruits of thankfulness. That's also why faith without works is dead, as James 2 says, and so isn't actually true faith. You see, think of it this way. A person who is physically alive will live as a person who is physically alive. In the same way, a person who is spiritually alive We'll live as a person who is spiritually alive. 
And so if we don't have any deeds in keeping with our new spiritual life, it means that we haven't actually passed from death to life in Christ. And that's why James 2 says that such a faith cannot save a person. It's not true faith. But the thing we must always remember and come back to is that this doesn't mean our good works bring us from death to life. No. Only the work of Christ can do that. But having been brought from death to life in Christ, we will be changed. We will live a new life. It's inevitable. It's impossible that we would not produce fruit. Brings us to our last point. So those are the first two objections to justification answered. Uh, There is now the third one. This one is found in uh, question and answer 63. There we read, But do our, our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? And that's a great question. The first thing we must point out is that God does indeed reward good works. There's simply no denying that. There's numerous examples of this sort of thing in Scripture. I'll give you one. Consider only Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh commanded that all the Israelite baby boys be thrown into the Nile River. However, what did the Hebrew midwives do? They refused to do that. said, no, there's no way... We're going to obey that wicked command. Uh, We are not going to kill any of the baby boys. And they even risked their lives for this. They could have been put to death, but they trusted in the Lord. And in response to their act of faith, Exodus 1 says, So God dealt well with the midwives, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them their own families. That's a clear example of God giving rewards for good works. Obviously, these women please God by their act of faith. Then we might ask, can we say that our good works earn nothing then? Doesn't this mean that our good works can pass God's judgment? However, here's where we must maintain the impossibility of merit on the part of humans. Yes, the Lord rewarded the midwives for for their obedience to him, but that doesn't mean the reward was merited or earned. You see, in order for a work to merit something, this is one reason why we can't merit anything before God, it must be done completely by the person doing it without any outside help. Uh, Think of it this way. If a student receives help all throughout his or her math test uh, from a mathematician who's sitting beside him or her, and then gets an A on the test, that student cannot say that he or she merited the A. It's because the student didn't do it all on his or her own. And it's the same thing with our good works. We can only do good works Because God is working in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. The good works we do have their root in God. 
They are done in Jesus Christ. They are empowered in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And without God working in us in this way, we would never do any of them in the first place. And that's one reason, only one reason, why we cannot say our works merit or earn us a reward from God. Rather, it is by God's grace that He crowns His own, grace, His own uh, work of grace in our lives. Furthermore, because they are stained with sin, they are only acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here I want to quote from another confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, where it says, Our Father is pleased to accept and reward what we do because He looks upon them in His Son. And that is so true. The good works we do are acceptable through Jesus Christ in Him, offered through faith in Christ. It's so important for us to keep in mind that we do not merit things from God. Because you know what? It will be damaging uh, for us if we live with the belief that our works earn or merit something with God. You know, we can so easily slip into that works-based relationship with, with God. Uh, maybe we don't even realize it at times. But this will only suck the joy out of our relationship with God. If we live with this belief that our works merit something, you know what might happen in our lives? We might get frustrated or even angry at the Lord. Why isn't God rewarding me the same way as that person? Am I living a worse life than he or she? Do I just need to try harder to get the reward I want? And then we get into this relationship of slavery with God instead of a relationship with, of love. See how damaging that can be? It can damage your relationship to God because you may believe he's, he's treating you unfairly then. I did this, doesn't God owe me that? It can also damage your relationship with your fellow Christian who seems to be rewarded with something you want. No, beloved, it's best to not even worry about the rewards. Instead, focus on just living for God. There's joy in that. He may reward our good works in this life, or he may not. It's up to him. But yes, in eternal life, he will reward us for our work done in faith, and he will reward us in the most perfect way. But while we are here, let us make it our aim to please our Father. He is our God who has saved us. There's joy. There's joy in living for God, serving Him. So let us work for His praise, having received such great grace in Jesus Christ. Amen.